Now we said earlier on we're looking at the uh, the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the second letter to Corinthians, and there's some wonderful, rich verses in it. And uh, it used to be a thing to memorise scripture, and it should still be a thing because it's a resource to us. It's a resource to break the attacks of the enemy against us, and it's a resource to remind us that Jesus is at the centre of our lives. So we're going to look through a few verses. If you put the first one up, Scott, please. And let's just get some of the, the wonderful verses from 2 Corinthians. Let's say uh, these verses together. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble. And that's the wonderful thing of who God is. And he's comforting us and we can comfort others. Can I just finish this, Paul? Um, Okay, let's say it again. God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble. Let's remember that this week. Second one, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen to the glory of God. Let's hold on to that one this coming week. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Can we say that again? Now God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's wonderful. So let's hold on to these verses and make them part of our lives. Great, it's our privilege to welcome Peter Reed to speak to us. He's Vice Principal of Regents College in Malvern. He was our guest speaker at uh, our weekend away at Ashburnham in February this year, which is wonderful. So let's welcome Peter to come and speak to us. Thank you so much, Nigel. It's great to be with you again, it really is. February seems a long time ago. I've broken it already. Um, And it it was slightly different weather. Is it always this warm in London? Yeah, okay, yes. No, it's great to to be with you again, it really is. And so like Nigel said, I have the privilege of uh, serving at Regents Theological College, um, which is part of the Elim movement of churches. And um, I've got the job, I pastored churches for quite a few years, and now I've got the privilege of training pastors and leaders. And uh, I've not brought any of uh, our paraphernalia, not brought any of our leaflets, but if you know somebody or if yourself are interested in the possibility of going to a theological college, then do have a chat with me afterwards. Uh, we do applied theology courses, applied theology in youth ministry, applied theology in performing arts, which is a fabulous course, literally theatre, drama and theology all in one degree, and uh, then theology and church leadership, which is what I lead, and uh, three-year degree courses, um, and we're partnered with Chester University, University of Chester. So if you want to know more about that, um, or if you're clever enough to do a master's degree, you could do a master's degree. 
have you done them? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and um, PhDs and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, if you want to chat to me. I think the folk from the church know, but uh, Jill sends her uh, greetings. My wife, and apologies, she's not been able to join me this weekend. Um, but she's doing fine. Um, we've got three kids. Our eldest is in New Zealand and works over there. And he and his wife are having a baby next month. So I'm going to turn into a granddad. That's a bit weird. That's a bit weird. Honestly, nobody expects to be a granddad. <laughs> I'm going to join the club. <laughs> and, uh, and our middle one, uh, Johnny, is uh, teaching English in Brazil. And our daughter is training teachers in a Christian charity in Mozambique. So they've all gone. They're all cleared off. So make the most of Rosaria while she's local. That's what I would say. <laughs> oh, dear. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, I pressed the wrong button. There we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you're a guest, and certainly if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, then please bear with us, follow us. We're going to be looking at this chapter from Scripture. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to get your own Bible out, whether it's a paper Bible, whether it's a device or gadget or phone. Um, It's one of those dying arts. People sometimes don't do it. So please, have a Bible with you. Make sure I'm not cheating. Make sure I'm preaching from the Bible. There are people who preach, but not from the Bible. And the best way to check that is to have your Bible. I've laboured that point enough. So, so we're going to be looking at that. Let me pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are with us this morning and that you know every single one of us so intimately and so well. And I am in faith, Jesus, that you've prepared my heart and you've dropped things into my heart to share this morning. And I pray through my faltering words your word would come through loud and clear that each one of us, whether we maybe don't know you or whether we've walked with you for many years, I believe, Jesus, by your spirit, you want to speak to each one of us this morning to your glory. Amen. You ever been fed up? No, you've not, have you? person next to you, have they been fed up? Yeah, they fed up with you. <laughs> you ever been frustrated? Ever been disappointed? Ever been misrepresented? Ever been lied about? Ever sensed an injustice against you? Ever been frustrated and disappointed? Ever poured yourself into a relationship and suddenly it flies back at you and it's thrown in your face? Because that's how Paul felt when he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He was browned off. He was sick as a dog, as Manchester would say. Um, You see... He had gone to the city of Corinth with some friends in AD 51, and he, with these friends, had begun to establish a church, and people had come to faith in Jesus. And as they'd come to faith in Jesus, they'd gathered together and they'd formed church, and the church had grown and got stronger, and Corinth was a tough city. It was a big cosmopolitan city. Lots of people from different ethnic backgrounds. They did that back then too. And it was a major trading route, east and west and north and south. And it was a major city in all manner of ways of spiritualities and all sorts of different directions of philosophies. But they nevertheless established the church of the Lord Jesus Christ there in the city of Corinth in 51 AD. And Paul was used of God and was key in establishing that. And then he'd come away and he'd planted other churches and done other things. But you know, slowly there are people in the church in Corinth who began to misrepresent Paul. They began to say, he's not got integrity. 
They began to doubt his integrity. They began to doubt his motives. They began to say, he's not really much, is he? He, he talks a lot in his letters, but his preaching ain't up to much. You might feel that this morning. You never know. Don't say. And slowly, Paul began to get so disappointed and so frustrated. So about five years later, he's, he's writing this letter. Now, if you know your Bible, in, he'd already written a letter to them in 1 Corinthians. In fact, he'd written a letter before that, which has since got lost. And we know that because in 1 Corinthians, he's replying to questions. So he's already been in discussion with the church at Corinth. And so he's replying to, to, to their questions. And if you know 1 Corinthians, it's quite structured, it's quite sequential, it's quite ordered. In 1 Corinthians, he says, now, about spiritual gifts, now, about the offering. Um, now, you ask me about the communion, you ask me about these meetings, you ask. And so 1 Corinthians is quite ordered, quite strong, and quite sequential. But when we get into 2 Corinthians, it's erratic and it's not well ordered. And one of those reasons is Paul was fed up. He really was fed up. He was disappointed. He was saddened. He was hurt. And in fact, after he'd written 1 Corinthians, he wrote another letter, and theologians call it the severe letter. That's what they call it, the severe letter. Well, I think 2 Corinthians, he's a bit naffed off. So what the severe letter was like, which is, we're told has got lost, and, and they replied to that. In other words, the relationship that Paul had with the church over that five years had rapidly gone downhill. And so Paul had been attacked, he's hurt, he's frustrated, he's disappointed, and he's tempted to feel sorry for himself. You ever felt sorry for yourself? You see, you and I probably are at our worst when we feel sorry for ourselves. I've had certain circumstances and situations of injustice and misrepresentation and allegations. Because it's life, it's the stuff of life. And I know it's so easy that we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. We begin to feel that self-pity. Paul was tempted to feel like that, which is why in verse 1 of chapter 4, and right at the end in verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart. And I believe Jesus wants to remind us through this chapter of Scripture that there are often times in life we've been singing about going through the troubles. We just sang that song. And there are times when we go through troubles... And if we're not careful, we can collapse in on ourselves and lose heart. But what Paul says here at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter is, we do not lose heart. And he doesn't lose heart because he learns to look differently at things. Sometimes we have to learn to look differently. I, I found this in a magazine a short time ago. I remember a change in thinking that I experienced one Sunday morning on the subway in New York. People were sitting quietly on the train. Some were reading newspapers, some were lost in thought, some were resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were loud, raucous, rambunctious, and instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat right next to me, can you believe it? And he closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to all the situation. Children were yelling, shouting, running back and forth. They were throwing things. They were grabbing people's newspapers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did absolutely nothing. It was so difficult not to feel irritated. 
I couldn't believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it. He took no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I eventually turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people here. Um, Could you not control them a little more? The man lifted his gaze as if to suddenly come conscious to the situation for the first time. And he said very quietly, Oh, oh, sorry, you're right. I, I guess I really need to do something about it. Um, it's just, you see, we, we just left the hospital and their mother and my wife died just under an hour ago. I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? Oh, um, my paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation went away. I didn't have to worry about um, controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion for him flowed freely. Your wife just died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Do you want to talk about it? Is there anything I can do? Everything changed in an instant. And I saw things differently. I've pastored churches for a long while. And I'm fascinated, not at what people go through, but how their life is often defined, sometimes for a short time, but sometimes for a long time, by how they respond to what they go through. I've seen people sometimes, even followers of Jesus, who claim to have faith and trust and confidence in Jesus. And they go through something that I would describe as medium-sized, maybe even small. And it's like their life is devastated. This guy once got sworn at by one of his colleagues and he said, said to me, I was persecuted for righteousness sake. I said, no, you just had somebody tell you to turn to off. It's life. Get over it. Get over yourself for goodness sake. But I've seen other times when followers of Jesus go through immense traumas, immense tragedies to do with births and deaths and bankruptcies and divorces and estrangements and all manner of stuff. But I have seen followers of Jesus see things differently. You see, how we look at things dramatically affects how our life progresses. I love what Nigel read right at the beginning. And let's just read the end of chapter 3 going into chapter 4. So this is 3.18. Sorry, 3.17 that Nigel read right at the beginning. This is in the New International Version. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So, I want this morning to talk about learning to look differently. 
And I want to encourage you to be the sort of person, and certainly the sort of follower of Jesus, that when things happen, think about how you're looking at it. Because believe me, sure as eggs is eggs, as they say in Manchester. It's absolutely true that what happens to us does not define us. But how we look at what happens to us, that does. And so the first thing I want to say from these few verses is look wider. Look wider. Sometimes we have too narrow a view. And you see, what Paul is saying here, which is why he says at the beginning of the chapter, therefore, it follows on from what he said before. What he said before is we're being transformed by the glory of God. In other words, he's saying it's not about how I feel. It's about the ministry I have from God. It's about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the previous chapter, Paul has said lots about ministry. He says, I'm not doing this because I fancy it. I'm doing this because of the call of God. You see, Paul is really clear that if you're taking the mickey out of me, I've got to get over myself. See, sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. I think when I was younger, I used to take myself so seriously. And you know, you come in a room and just as you come in, two or three people laughing, they're laughing about me. I wonder what they said about me. I bet they said about that time when... And suddenly you've got a whole narrative in your mind. And you're so full of yourself, you don't realize they're not even thinking about you. But there's something about the selfishness of the human condition that we make everything about us. Paul is determined to say, it ain't about me. He's got to learn to take himself less seriously and actually be really strong on taking the gospel of Jesus seriously. See, this is all about light. We are bringers of light. If you have been enlightened by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've chosen to follow Jesus and the light of Christ is in our hearts, we are now light bearers. That's what he's saying here. The gospel is the light of the world, the good news of Jesus. Which is why he says we don't distort the word. Um, You know this is written in the Greek when Paul originally wrote it. And the word um, that's translated distort is the word tamper. And it was the word that winemakers used to tamper with wine. In other words, it's 60% wine, 40% water. You ever had that wine as well? You see, that's the image that would become conjured up. He says we don't distort, we don't tamper the word, we don't dilute it. You see, he doesn't dilute the gospel of Jesus to make it acceptable. I don't know if you noticed, but in the last 10 years or so, there are various branches of so-called Christianity that's diluting the truth of the good news of Jesus to make it acceptable. Paul says, don't do that. He says, hold firmly to the gospel of God. Don't resort to cheap tricks. Don't try to make it acceptable. But don't be eager to defend yourself either. What he's really saying is, is, Look wider than yourself. Yourself gets in the way. Do you know that? Your self, my self, my selfishness that makes it about me. Most of my life, I think, is it going to be convenient to me? Will it benefit me? Will it help me? It's all about me. I mean, I know you never think that. But it's so easy to fall into that trap. And what Paul says, the first thing. To look differently is to look wider. Um, I remember some years ago, Jill and I had been pastoring for a few years, and we'd been married about four or five years. And for the first time, I know young people won't understand this, but for the first time, we didn't pay off our credit card. I know young people don't understand that. Um, but because up till then, we'd never let credit cards, and we'd not paid off the credit card, and then a month or two had gone by, and suddenly we had £1,200 on the credit card. And so 
there was a couple in the church and they were going through some challenges. A bit older than us, only been married a year or two. And they said, could you come round? We've just got some challenges to discuss. So me, the pastor and the wife, me, the pastor and the wife, are driving to see this couple. And on the way, we have this row. Oh, sorry, no. No, sorry, I'm a pastor. We had a discussion. <laughs> so we had this blistering discussion <laughs> on the way because we felt the pressure of the finance, £1,200. Well, you said, yeah, but you said, you know that sort of, <laughs> did I tell you this is me? Anyway, but then when we arrived and we got chatting and this couple had got married and both of them had debt from before they were married that they had not concealed to their not revealed to their partner. So they'd come into marriage and he had a credit card debt, she had a credit card debt and both of them had buried that and hoped it would go away. And had not. And then they, and I said, well, how much are you looking at? And they said, oh, oh 27,000 pounds. And so two things happened. Firstly, I thought, oh my, my heart went out to them. But then I realised that me and Jill were looking at each other and thinking, we're not doing so bad, are we? <laughs> Do you know what? We get absorbed with ourselves and our own situation. We sort of emotionally implode on ourselves. Paul says here, look wider, look wider. I, I, my son used to work in the Philippines in a charity, then in Kathmandu, and, and, and my daughter's in Mozambique now. You hear some of the stories of stuff going on, and you say, Thank you, God, for clean water. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not going to get malaria, probably. You see, we get so comfortable in our own world, but sometimes we've got to look wider. So the first way to make sure we don't lose heart, and the first way to look differently, is to look wider than yourself. But then he carries on. Take it from verse 8, and we're going to see, he says, look higher. Verse 8. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carried around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, the last little section was about light. It talks about the light of the gospel. And Paul is saying, defend the light of the gospel for all you're worth. But get over yourself. Don't make it about you. Look wider. But now, he moves from talking of light to talking of life. He talks about the life of God. Have you noticed that he doesn't minimize things? And there's a little literary thing done here. It's the style they'd be used to. He says, we're hard-pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. He's not minimizing what he's going through. You know, and sometimes Christians, we are rubbish. Well, not you, obviously, I'm thinking of other. But, you know, somebody's going through a real turmoil. It's, oh, Romans 28, 28, all things work together for good. Ha <laughs> ha, have a good day. And we're, we're useless at really empathizing and understanding. But on the other hand, we don't want people to wallow. See, Paul's not a wallower. He doesn't wallow in self-pity. He's real about we're hard-pressed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down. He, he is really fed up. He is disappointed. But he draws a line and he says, I'm not going there. I'm fed up, but I'm not going to go there. And so he's determined to look higher. He's really saying, 
all this pressure is squeezing the life out of us. But we're determined that we're not going to look down at death. We're going to look up at the life of Christ. And he's really saying we don't have this power within us. It's not about trying harder. Sometimes there's a parody of following Jesus, which is try harder, try harder. No, no. What Paul is saying is draw on the grace of Christ and let his life work through you. See, in verse 10, he's saying we're handed over to death so that the life of Christ may be revealed in us. Don't you've ever noticed this, but the normal tradition is life followed by death. That's, that's usually the normal tradition. The Lord Jesus Christ reversed that. He did death followed by life again. And that is what Paul is saying here. He's saying the Lord Jesus Christ did death and then pushed through to life. And he's saying just like Jesus did, we too follow him in recognizing that there's a load of stuff in this life that squeezes us and tramples us down and wants to bring death into us. But he says push through that to life just like Jesus did. I don't know about you, but I get lost in mazes. Have you ever been to like one of these big country manors where they have these mazes? You know the, the hedges? You have the hedges about eight foot high and then you go in and it's going to be great fun. Oh, let's go in this maze. And then after five minutes, you know, oh, I'm fed up. I'm going to get out now. And me, me and my wife, who shall remain nameless, we're in this and we're having a, another discussion <laughs> because I wanted to do it and my wife said, don't be silly. You ever been there? You've been there. No. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking on you, I'm sorry. <laughs> You've got one of those friendly faces. Um, and, and so we, we, were, we got totally lost. We're in this maze. And, I think, and then suddenly, we got this little sign that says, if you need help. And I'm like, what? If you need help. And so we, we got there and we turned and suddenly there's a step. And, then a, and we went up about eight or nine steps and suddenly there was like a wooden podium. And suddenly on the top, it suddenly was obvious. Well, we need to go there, there and there and then we're out. And we did and we were. And we had our National Trust cup of tea <laughs> as a reward. Do you know, we had to get out, and the only way to get out was to look higher. See, sometimes life bogs us down. There's a real enemy out there, Satan, whatever you want to call him. The enemy, the devil. And, and he wants to squeeze death into us. And what Paul is saying here is, no, no, look higher, look higher. See, the Corinthians believed that adversity was incompatible with a spirit-filled life. So the Corinthians were saying, actually, if Paul is struggling, if Paul's hurting, if he's disappointed, if he's, if he's got all sorts of problems, if he's in adversity, then he can't possibly be a spirit-filled apostle of Jesus. And what Paul goes really clearly into is, Yes, I'm really struggling, perplexed, crushed, persecuted, struck down, etc. But I'm going to keep drawing on the life of Christ. What Paul is saying is in, in adversity, we look up to the life of Christ. You and I are going to have times of adversity. I'm sorry if that's bad news. But you know what? It's realistic. And we get some crazy sort of evangelistic preaching sometimes. Come to follow Jesus and all your problems will go away. No! The reality is, come to Jesus and you'll be in all the problems you would have been in before. But, by the grace of the Holy Spirit within, we'll be able to look higher to the life of Christ that is at work in us and not look down at the death. So, firstly, look wider. Get over yourself. It's not about you. 
And secondly, look higher to the life of Christ. And then thirdly, look further. Look further. This is verse 13 to 15. Paul says, it is written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow for the glory of God. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Look further. See, Paul's going to talk a lot about this in the next chapter. I guess we do that next week. Do you do them in the actual order? Oh, yes, in two weeks. And so in chapter 5, Paul's going to talk a lot more about this. But first of all, he quotes the Old Testament. Your Bible probably tells you it references Psalm 116. And David, King David in the Old Testament, had been critically ill, but God delivered him from death. And what Paul does is use that from the Old Testament psalm as an illustration to say God delivers us from death to drop the hint that we need to look further. See, verse 14 says Jesus will come again to raise us up with him. When I was a kid, the church I I grew up in, um, probably in the, what would it be, in the 60s, the 70s, maybe into the 80s, when I was a kid and a teenager, we had a lot of teaching on the second coming of Jesus. Loads of people talk about the second coming of Jesus. And, and then people started teaching like patterns and you'd have diagrams. And, and I remember being in a few meetings where it said, Jesus is going to come in the year 2000. I mean, nobody said that. It was like hinted at. Don't know, with the millennium bug. That didn't happen either. Um, and the fascinating thing for me is that the teaching got so complicated. And people were trying to work out Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. Don't go there on a dark day. Um, and people are trying to work out, and it got so complicated about the second coming of Jesus. You know what? I think we've overreacted. And nowadays, it's not often people will talk about the fact that Jesus is coming again. And Jesus ain't just coming again as our hero. He's risen, and he's coming to raise us up with him. And that's why he says it so clearly in verse 14. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Therefore, Paul is saying, look further. Look further. Don't just get bogged down in the now. Look to the beyond. Because verse 15 says, And when that happens, when Jesus comes and raises us up with him, God's glory will be revealed in us. In other words, this is about future glory. It's all about resurrection. Not Jesus' resurrection. Your resurrection. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, will be raised up at the last day and we are going to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. And when I was a kid, I used to think that was like being in one long church service. And to be honest, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go. Because the other place sounded sometimes more exciting, but we know it's not. But you know what? Whatever being with Jesus forever is going to be, heaven, whatever, I don't believe it's some airy, fairy cloud. It's probably going to be a renewed earth, but let's not go there. But it's going to be magnificent. And so what Paul is saying is, look further. Look further. It's, look at now in the light of what's coming. And when you and I have been with Jesus in heaven for a zillion, zillion, zillion years, we will look back and say, do you remember that little blip? 
But you see, when you're going through stuff, and when I'm going through stuff, when you're waiting for that diagnosis, when bankruptcy looks like it's looming, when that parent-child relationship's going wrong, when the doctor is saying, actually, we might need to see you several times, when the chemo's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, when all sorts of stuff are happening and people are using the divorce word, masses of stuff happening. Do you know what we sometimes do? We forget that now is in the light of forever. And so Paul is saying, look further look further and then he finishes the last one finishes the chapter and I love this therefore we do not lose heart you see Paul is putting it in a letter but he's telling himself and if you know the Old Testament Psalms there's a load of them that say don't be downcast my soul have you ever read them Psalms why so downcast what really the psalmist is saying is take your soul by the scruff of the neck and look at your soul and say don't be a stupid bozo soul come on That's what the Old Testament psalmists are often saying. And Paul is saying that to himself. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so the final thing that Paul says, I believe, is, hey, look deeper, look underneath. It starts off by saying, outwardly, we're wasting away. Yeah, I know the feeling. I never used to wear glasses. And then, out, and then friends of mine have gone bald, and people have got walking sticks. And, or outwardly, we're wasting away. Do you know, sorry to let Rosario know this, but from the moment you're born, you're dying. That's not very exciting news, is it? See, that's what Paul's, he's talking of the inevitability. Outwardly, we're wasting away. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. One commentator on this says, this is not renewal in the sense of mere replacement. It's not like I had an old Ford car and now I'm getting a new Ford car. It's not just mere replacement, it's ever-increasing renewal. It's not, I'm being renewed, it's God is renewing me. God is at work in us. And in fact, verse 17 is a really tough, and it's a fascinating verse, because it doesn't, Paul doesn't just contrast the light and temporary afflictions of this age with the eternal weight of glory to come. It clearly states that the afflictions are preparing us for that. In other words, when you go through stuff, God is looking at you to see how you handle it. You see, if we're bone-idle, lazy followers of Jesus, we just want Jesus to be a big sugar daddy. Just give me nice things, nice, nice, nice things. Have you ever seen parents that spoil their children? I was talking about that with somebody recently, actually. And you see spoiled children, you know? We had one of our students, and he's 20 years old, and I had to have a chat with him because he was struggling, and he was going to be leaving the college, sadly. And I had a chat and said, mate, what is the problem? And this 20-year-old said, it's because my mum's not there to wake me up in the morning. And I'm like, you're 20, for goodness sake! Thank you, Nora. If you'd arrived 100 years ago, you'd have been out to war for, for four years by now. But you see, sometimes you get spoiled children and it doesn't look good. And they've been spoiled because they've been mollycoddled. Our God, our Heavenly Father, is not a mollycoddling Heavenly Father because he doesn't want us to stay babies. He wants us to grow up. And what Paul is saying here is look deeper and see that when we go through stuff, God is at work in us, preparing us for the sort of character he wants us to have. 
That is what he's saying. Paul doesn't minimize the pain of suffering, but he does put it into perspective. It's really interesting because there's two contrasts in here, and you might have picked it up. Um, He talks about light compared with heavy, and he talks about temporary compared with permanent. Because he says, the afflictions are light compared to the glory that will come. Now, people back in the day would have known that the Hebrew word, which they would have been familiar with in their Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew word for glory, it means heavy, it means weighty. And so therefore, what Paul is saying is, our afflictions are light, but the glory coming is heavy. But then he says, our afflictions are temporary, but our glory will be permanent. This actually prepares us for chapter 5 in two weeks' time, when somebody will unpack that. And we'll talk about the fact that we live in a tent on this earth, but we're going to have a magnificent home. When I was pastoring a church in Stockport, South Manchester, and... uh, the new version of the Bible says, we're going to have a home in heaven. And this old guy came, Len, great guy, bricklayer. Real, yeah, bricklayer's hands, you know. Shook hands with him at your peril, you know. And Len came, he says, I'm not, I'm not happy with that, pastor. In that new version, it says I'm going to get a home in heaven. He says, I've spent all my Christian life knowing I'm going to get a mansion. And he says, and I'm going to get a mansion. All right, all right, well, you don't argue with Len. Going to get a mansion. You see... What he's hinting at now, is he'll pull out even more in the next chapter, is that what we have now is a tent. And some of us have got particularly shabby tents, slightly overweight tents. We've got all sorts. But you know, this is just a tent, and one day we're getting a mansion. You see, our light and momentary afflictions. I know when you're in it, it doesn't feel like it. When I'm in it, it, don't feel, it doesn't feel light and momentary. But the reality is, when we learn to look correctly and look deeper and look further and look wider and look higher, they are light and momentary compared to the heaviness and the weight of the glory that forevermore will be ours in Christ. My wife doesn't do tents. We went to a Christian festival some years ago and it rained all week. And it was like a river coming through the tents. And every morning the kids would get their clothes and wring them out and put the... Oh, that's why Paul says in the next chapter, our earthly tent is temporary. Because we're getting a mansion. Look deeper. And so finally, there's two verses I missed. I'm not sure if you noticed. I missed them because I want to finish with them. Because I think they're the core of the chapter. See, verse 6 and verse 7. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, these two verses, I love them because they put together everything we've talked about in this chapter. And I love it because in verse 6, it says, God has shed his light in our hearts. I want to make sure, now, bear with me, because I want you to turn to the person next to you, even if you don't like them. Sorry. You can move somewhere if you want, sir. No. And I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God has made his light shine in your heart. Can you do that? You manage? Pretend I'm American. Did they get it? Did they look like they get it? If, if it looks like they didn't get it, then just, just go up to them and slap them a bit and say, God has made his light shine in your heart. Give them that, you know. God has made his light shine in your heart. Have they got it? 
Good. Because the truth is, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ has been given to us. Not to keep, but to share. So has he got it? Has he got it? Do you need to slap him a bit more? (laughs) God's light shine in your heart. But then, so he lifts us up, but then he brings us down. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. In fact, one translation says, we have this treasure in crack pots. So turn to the person next to you and say you're a crack pot. You're going to enjoy that part. You're a cracked pot. You see, what I love is in just these two verses, the Apostle Paul has lifted them to the heights and said, we do not lose heart. We are perplexed. We are distressed. We are frustrated. We are disappointed. We are hurt. We are so angry and hurt. But we do not lose heart because we look wider than just us. We look higher at the purposes of the light of God. We look further and see that Jesus is coming again and what he sorts out then will be forever. And we look deeper because he's at work in us now. He has put the light of the gospel of Christ into our hearts. But guess what? We're also crackpots. And you see, it's interesting because there's two strands of, of, of church that have got it wrong. One strand of church says, come on, you're king's kids. We're inheritors of the kingdom. Come on, be loud and arrogant and brash. Ooh, that's so sad. But there's another form of Christianity that says, oh, we're humble worms. We're just, oh, terrible, terrible. No, no, no. The balance is we've got to have the determination to avoid the arrogance of a bombastic Christianity that says, I'm it. I'm God's answer. But we've got to have the confidence to say, hey, God's put his light into our hearts. Let's shed that light. But let's never forget we're a crackpot. This, this word is used of vessels like that, cracked pots. But it's also used of people. And when it's used of people, it refers to them as instruments or implements, like tools in somebody's hand. So, imagine being the paintbrush used by Leonardo da Vinci or Rembrandt. How did that paintbrush feel? Imagine being the quill used by Shakespeare. Or Charles Dickens. Imagine being the violin used by Yudi Menuhin or Stefan Grappelli. Wow. Well, what Paul's saying here is imagine being an old clay pot, an old crack jar that's used by Jesus to shine his light, shine his love, and shine his life into the needy world around us. Life sometimes is tough, but dig deep. Look at life differently. And remember, you and the person next to you are an old crackpot, but we're filled with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's live like it. Amen. Bless you, mate. Thank you very much, Peter. Let's pray, and then we'll sing our final song. Lord, we ask you to help us to look wider and higher and further and deeper. Lord, help us to look away from ourself and be less obsessed with ourselves. Thank you. Our identity is in you, Lord Jesus, and who you made us to be. 
It's not something we construct and agonize over. Help us look wider, Lord. Help us look higher to you and help us to see from your perspective over some of the petty arguments and divisions and confusion of this world to see from your higher perspective. Lord, thank you. Have a good future for us. We thank you for the huge weight and uh, time and opportunities that are beyond what we can think or even imagine. And that's the future that you've planned for us. Help us to live in the now with the future in mind. And Lord, thank you. You're doing a work deep in us, in our weakness, in our vulnerability. You're working deeply in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Amen.